So guys, today um, we're joined by none other than Tom Panos. Thank you so much for jumping on both sides. Thank you. Thank hey, you. Super, super pumped. Mate, can we start off the podcast uh, with where we were just, where we just let off, which was mental health. I think it's probably an important place to start in a market where <clears throat> it, a lot of agents are doing it quite tough. I actually know quite, uh, personally, there are a couple agents in my inner circle that are doing it quite tough mentally as well. What would be your advice for agents that are struggling with listings and what have you and starting to see that their mind is starting to deteriorate in terms of their motivation and what, how they're thinking about themselves? So, Kevin, I've got to, I've got to tread on this subject um, um, with caution. And the reason why is there is a cohort of people, a small subset of people yep. that do have um, clinical depression or anxiety and, and it's, that's not just because about an event. Um, it is purely a chemical thing. Mm. And often you'll find that um, finding a, a great expert that actually can work with you with cognitive behavioural therapy mm. and maybe with medication, mm. it can improve your situation. But if we're not talking about that small cohort of people, but mm. we're talking about a group of people that are real estate agents that are a little bit more sadder, a little bit more stressed, a little bit more overwhelmed than what they were, say, a year ago or two years ago. Mm. Um, it's probably caused because they're making less money. Mm. It's probably caused because things have gone from nuts to normal and it's chaotic. It happened in an astonishing speed. And, and one of the other biggest causes of anxiety and depression for real estate agents that is not uh, a chemical one, um, it's caused by... Clients. I mean, I can't get over the amount of real estate agents that have had the, the 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 vendor from hell, right? And this vendor really gets into their head and they just find that even when the vendor rings them up, they look at the phone and they get stressed, mm. right? Um, there's no connection with them. They'll often find that that vendor doesn't listen to the feedback. Often the vendor wants to be running things. Often there's no trust in the relationship. Mm. So it depends what the cause is to an agent. But I firstly start off with, and I can pretty much tell you, you will take something that is unbearable and make it bearable just by engaging three strategies. If you slept more, if you ate cleaner and exercised, you would take something that might seem unbearable and make it bearable, right? Those three things alone. Normally what you find is when someone's going off track, you'll find that they're not sleeping well, they're not eating well, they're not exercising well, and they seem to look at things in a much gloomier view, right? Um, so I would say, Kevin, for your listeners and viewers of this podcast, that would be the starting point. Mm. Look at those three foundation blocks, eat well, sleep well, exercise well. I 100% agree with that. Last year, I went through um, a breakup, which knocked me off my game in terms of listing and selling real estate. And I was carrying a little bit more extra weight last year. And then I ended up, obviously went through the breakup and I said to myself, okay, I'm gonna put myself in the best, best position to find someone else. And that was by looking better. So I went to the gym, was going to the gym once a day, 5K walk, getting outside, doing all that sort of stuff. And just watching my physical uh, appearance change completely changed my whole outlook on everything really. So I completely agree with that for sure. Um, obviously a lot of agents are still tr trying to um, 
figure out how to actually work this market as well. Obviously not just by, by dealing with mental side, but trying to figure out how to work this market. What are the best agents doing in this changing market? Blocking out the noise, blocking out the noise, the noise of media, the noise of other negative agents, um, what they're reading, what they're seeing. I mean, it's really basic. I think right now in this market, you need to become myopic and focus on just this simple word, plan, mm. four letters, P-L-A-N, prospect, list, adjust, negotiate. Mm. Everything else is just bullshit, right? Mm. So if you can become myopic and just focus on those four things, prospect, let me keep the pipeline coming through, list, let me list property at the right price and not overprice it, adjust. In this market, I am going to have to be adjusting a property for it to sell and end negotiate. Realistically, in this market, there is fear of overpaying, not fear of missing out from the buyer's perspective. So you've got to be really good at creating urgency mm. when there's actually no urgency. You've got to be a good negotiator. Mm. And how do you do that? Okay. So firstly, one of the biggest tips on nego- on, on what? On negotiating? Yeah, and creating competition when there is none. Okay. Firstly, you've got to be the person in the negotiation that cares less. Mm. End of story. The person who cares less has the power mm. in the negotiation, right? That's true. So you've got to have the courage and the vulnerability to be able to walk away from the deal because in many instances, you only will find out what the other party's final position is once you've walked, right? Mm. So that takes courage because the average agent, Kevin, sits there to a buyer and turns around and says, trust me, pay another $50,000. It's worth it. You won't regret it. We sold one down the road. So you've got this commission breath coming around and this desperation energy in your tone is coming through Mm. and the buyer can smell that a mile away. Whereas a good negotiator will say, hey, listen, I'm letting you know the deal won't happen at that number. This probably is probably not the one meant for you. But I'm going to thank you because your negotiation in this property has been able to help us get the vendor down to a price that we think this is very saleable. So I do want to thank you for that, right? That's what a calm, collected negotiator does, Mm. right? It's so true. I I just bought a property off Jen Carr and Bull Carr and she is the master at that connection with buyers where she makes you feel like you're serving, right? Like you don't feel like there's a sale happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's all. done in a it's seamless way. So. I mean, I look, so I do about, you know, I do anywhere between five auctions in a quiet week. Mm. Typically it's 10. Sometimes it's 15 on a Saturday. My stock standard, property gets passed in. I'll have a quick chat. And then I'll just say, there's no there's no desperation from my end. I'll sit there and I'll say, man, it's been great meeting you. This is not meant to be. Um, who knows, I might see you around the traps at another one and I'll just walk away. And you know how many times the buyer says to me, oh, what happens now? Where, where, where are you going? I'll say, I'm going to my next auction. And they'll say, yeah, but we're the, we're the, we're the highest bidder. We, we, we've got the... We got the first right of negotiation. I said, yeah, we've done that bit. We've already done that. That's finished now. And then they'll say, oh, but what price will buy this property? And I'll pull out the reserve and say, that's the number. Mm. And then they'll say, but we're not prepared to go to that. And I said, well, sorry, it's not going to (laughs) happen. Oh, but will they take this? 
I doubt it, but I'll go try. You know what I mean? Whereas the typical mm. agent gets emotionally involved. <sighs> They're huffing and puffing. Please pay it, please pay it. So it does take courage. But the mm. secret, I think, is this. You've got to have so many deals up in the air that you generally don't care. Mm. Where you really care is if you haven't eaten for a few months. You've mm. got one listing. That's when you care. So I think... I don't think you can – people say, oh, but you can fake it. I think if you're desperate, it's hard. Mm. It's, it's hard. You're sort of saying, man, I need to eat. I need this deal, right? Um, so I think, I think uh, Kevin, negotiation is something that people should uh, make it uh, uh, a goal to improve on. There are things that you can do to help you become a better negotiator. There's a lot of content out there mm. on, uh, on negotiation and I think for the average real estate agent – it is one of the main things that they bring to the table. Mm. A real estate agent brings two things to the table, marketing to attract a lot of buyers mm. and negotiation ability to extract the most out of the final buyer. These are the two things that agents bring to the table. Get good at them. Mm, definitely. And what do you think in terms of this market, where do you think a lot of agents are going wrong? What are the, mis- what are the main mistakes agents oh, they, are doing? They, they, they hate confrontation. Yeah. Oh, they feel like that they, they they feel like they've got to save every vendor. Mm. Oh, you know, um, um, uh, like this is a typical one. Oh, Tom, listen, the feed the feed the feed the feedback's been um, uh, 1.1 million dollars, um, but I, I I know that we would have got 1.3 million dollars six months ago, and the people are really nice. The ladies the ladies really nice. She's got a, a condition, mm. and I just say, mate. What gives you the right to think that you've got some superpower that you can actually save this person? I feel sorry for her. She's got anorexia has <clears> you, or, <throat> or whatever the illness is. Relax, mate. The market's the market. Mm. Just tell the damn truth. And I think that people do, that don't give, I think people that don't give vendors the hard information are liars because mm. they're not telling them the truth. That's true. I believe that too. Now, what happens if you go do tell the owner the truth from the beginning? Let's say hypothetically, an owner wants one million bucks. You've told the owner it's probably worth nine hundred. They still want the one million dollars. You put it on the market. How long do you give it on market by consistently giving them the real feedback, trying to help them understand that it's not where where they wanted to be, that it was originally where you said? First week. First week. Five days. I think the conversation's got to be uh, – the conversation, yeah. Kevin, is got to be a bit like this. At the listing presentation, which we don't have the time to do a whole listing yeah. presentation, but I'm just going to pull out the component of price. Mm. Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, mm. you've said to me that a million's the number you want and mm. I've got to say to you, if there's a million out there, I'll be getting it. Mm. Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, I want to let you know my job is to find someone else who has the same view on value as you, a million. That's mm. my job. Mm. Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, I've got to let you know, if we got a million, I would be very proud to be aligned with that result. The comparables I've got are suggesting to me it's around 900. Those are the comparables. But I don't care about that because mm. what I want to do is I want to bring in my first set of high probability buyers and that buyer intel is going to be fed back to you in a seven-day review strategy meeting. In After that week, I'm going to have live intel from buyers who are actually buying right now. Mm. Um, and out of role play, 
Kevin, if you have a listen to what I just said there, I didn't say your home's worth a million. Yeah. I said if there's a million out there, I'll be getting it. Mm. I didn't turn it. So that's a big difference. Whereas a poor lister will say, yeah, a million. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And then they buckle and then they think, oh, I better stick with it or I'll lose the listing. Yeah, let's, let's, yeah, I think a million. And then what actually happens is you come back a week later, two weeks later, three weeks later, oh, the feedback's 900. And you can't even say it because you're too scared to look him in the eye because mm. you bullshitted to them mm. at the listing presentation. You buckled at a point that was critical to look him in the eye and say, a million would be a great number. <clears throat> and if it's out there, I'm getting it. That's quite different to saying, I'll get you a million, right? Mm. Um, and I think, Kevin, you've got to do, the, you've got to, there's, a, there's a saying, go ugly early. Mm. Have the crucial conversation very, very soon. Mm. If you're not having it, by week one, man, it's too late in this market. How long do you give it on the market and they're not listening before you decide to say, hey, look, this isn't working? Do you just continually try for months on end or when do you when do you draw the line? line four weeks. End? Four weeks? I think yeah. four weeks. Four weeks is week one, you have this seven-day strategy review meeting. Yeah. You're prepared to keep going. You'll keep saying to them, if your property doesn't sell over the next month, it's either the price or the marketing. Mm. I'm going to make sure that I'll nail the marketing. Mm. So you keep doing that. You're coming back week two, look at what we've done in marketing, look at what the feedback is. By that stage, by four weeks, there's a great saying, low offers, they blame the market, no offers, they blame the agent. By four weeks, you should have had quite a few offers, you've had good feedback, what they like and they don't like. And if you've got a vendor that is not engaged or you've got that kind of vendor that is trying to run the campaign themselves, mm. you know, or that vendor that says, oh, mate, listen, I know what my home's worth and I've got my best mate, he's second in charge at ANZ Bank, mm. you know, at head office, right, he's telling me rates are about to go down. If you've got that kind of vendor and every time the phone rings, you look at that vendor and it's giving you the shits, I think that you give them notice at around the fourth week. And what you say is this. Hey, listen, John, this is what we've done so far. This is the feedback. We've had four meetings. We've had five offers. You're not engaging in it. There's only two reasons why properties don't sell. It's either the price is too high or the marketing's poor. Look at our marketing. It's 10 out of 10. I've suggested we realign the value of your property by 10% on a number of occasions. You've declined. I'm getting concerned for you. Uh. I'm getting concerned for you because the longer your home stays on the market, the cheaper it gets. Uh. It's like milk and bread at Woolworths. It sits on the shelf. Week in, week out, it's getting cheaper. Uh. There comes a time, there's a use-by date uh. and it gets slashed. It's not in your best interest. However, let's go for another week if you're not prepared to realign, we might have to make a decision that we part ways as agent and vendor but not as friends because mm. I want to keep the door open mm. because I might not be wow. your first agent. I might have to be your second agent. That's yeah. what we do. Wow. That's extremely powerful. 100%. 100% it's powerful because what you're sort of saying to them is that it's not in their interest but mm. it's also not in your interest, right? Mm. And... Um, 
as I said to you earlier on, a lot of people get a lot of stress and anxiety from having vendors who are just not engaging. And I hate the feeling dealing with someone that doesn't trust you. You know when you feel like everything, they're, they're, they're sussing you out on everything? Mm. That's draining, draining. Talking to people that won't listen. Mm. Never talk to people who won't listen to you. Go find other people who will listen. Yeah. If you're dealing with someone who you find isn't listening to you, are there any tools or strategies you can implement to switch the flip? Yeah. So um, the best way I like to describe it is your vendors are a jury. You're in court. They're the jury. And the jury needs evidence or proof. Compelling, right? So what does a great criminal barrister do? He actually creates theatre to actually have people get emotionally involved. And what's the most powerful way? It's what doctors use. It's called x-rays. What they do, if you go see a doctor, mm. hypothetically, let's <clears> assume <throat> you start having a problem with your knee, right? And, you know, it's been two, three weeks limping this and that. You go see a doctor, the doctor says this, and we need to go get an MRI, get a CAT scan done, all right? They go get the MRI CAT scan. You come back, he gets the scan, puts it up on a yellow projection light, he goes, have a look, it's broken. And you go, oh, no, doctor, don't say that to me. He says, I'm not saying to you, look, it's the scan. Like the bad guy's mm. not the doctor, mm. it's the scan, it's mm. the X-ray. So I think in real estate it's creating great X-rays. Mm. And X-rays are simple things like properties that have just sold in the last few days. Mm. And what I would do, and it's something I did, when I opened up my real estate office, it was actually in a market that we're similar to now. It was 1990. It was after the boom, the biggest boom we've had in 1988. And I used to play a game called Guess the Price is Right. So what I do is I get my vendors. I get a vendor that wouldn't be listening to me and they'd always think their home's worth a lot more. And what I do is I get my vendor and I say, hop in the car. I just want to go for a drive. I want to show you something. This can be really interesting. And we go for a drive and I'd say, see that home there? It was sold by opposition last week. So I'd show them other stuff, not just mine. I'd show them everything. What do you reckon it sold for? And they'd be staring. 700? Nah. Sold for 610. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> right? So you drive. So, so this guided tour was very powerful. It was called Guess the Price, mm. right? And then you'd come back to their house and you'd say, it appears that there's a gap between your perception and reality. Oh, yeah. How do they take it? Um, I think it's confronting because the family home is, for most people mm. on the planet, their biggest asset. Mm. And it's confronting. But I always say to people, Kevin, I might hurt you with the truth, but I'm not going to comfort you with a lie. And that basically sort of says, I can tell you what you want to hear, but I think I should tell you what you need to hear. And they get it if you can pre-frame it, you know. Yep. Um, besides the pricing, what are the common traits that 
agents uh what are what are the common traits between agents in this market where they actually stand out and not just common traits in relation to what they're doing in real estate but what are the common traits in top agents personal lives how are they are they similar in some respects look there's a bunch of people out there that would define success in life highly geared to what their commercial life is like. So they'd be happy to be successful in business at the expense of health and family. So my definition of success is, is quite different. My definition of success is ELF. So I run this model, E-L-F, effortless, lucrative, fun. That's my business model, effortless, lucrative and fun. So I never do things I hate, right? Because it pisses me off and the person I deal with is not going to like it and I don't do enough of it because it's not good. So I'm not putting in the effort into it. So I only do things I like. So there is a group of real estate people that can have good success in business at the expense of life. But I want to give you what I see the definition of success is in real estate, my view. My view is that you can have a good life in real estate and a good life at home and they can happen together. And what are the what are the qualities of the people that I see? And there's a few of them around in our industry. Like, you know, I've been married 31 years. I've got two daughters. Um... I've had my hiccups in health. It's not my fault. It became my problem. Um, but my health is good um, and business is good. Um, and I look at other people, Kevin, that have got success in life and business, what I see them. Number one, they live a life that feels good on the inside versus worrying about it looking good on the outside. Mm. Big difference. Mate, you gotta remember, I sit with mate, I sit with these agents all the time. They sit down, I can smell bullshit. If I read some of the text messages that come through uh, to me, right, they just turn around and say, mate, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a mind reader, right? I sit down with people. I think it's got to do with the fact that coaching psychology has been both my masters and my undergraduate was all behavioral science. So it's this combination of you know, reading the play but also having theory. Um, and what I notice with these people that are successful is that they have got clarity. They don't need therapy because they've got clarity. And clarity is, have you, you know, ever seen, you know, when you look at a jigsaw puzzle, you know, my youngest daughter, Sorry, my oldest daughter loved jigsaws. Madeline used to love jigsaws. So she used to get a jigsaw, put it out on the table and then she'd look at the back of the box and look at the photo. And then I'd always say to her, why are you looking at the, the photo? She goes, Daddy, if I don't look at the photo, I won't know what to actually do. Mm. That's a great metaphor. Jigsaws are a great metaphor. If you can have clarity on that end picture, mm. it then affects your behaviours and the action steps you take. But if you don't know what the end picture looks like, mm. so the people that... I think have got the greatest lives, have got the most inspiring pictures. They've got mm. a picture that springs them to work. They've got a picture that makes passion their paycheck. They have a picture 
where that they look at their life and they mm. turn around and say, I might have a few hiccups, but that thing I want so badly, so mm. I won't look at excuses. They're just speed humps. Whereas if you don't have a great picture and you get some sort of blockage, it's not a speed hump. It becomes a brick wall. You just think, mm. oh, shit, problem after problem. So that's a big one. Having clarity. Um, and, it, Thomas, yeah. sorry to interrupt. Has there been a time in your life where you've experienced the brick wall and the opposite where you've had the vision and clarity where you've it's become a speed hump? Yeah, that's a great question because the ability to know on when to keep going mm. or to quit is super important, right? Mm. It's super important to make the decision, do I keep going or do I quit? I actually think quitting is a success strategy, believe it or not. Example. You're in a bad relationship and this is the example I'm going to give to you about myself. You said, have I been? Mm. I've been in a bad relationship. I'm thinking to myself, she's not good for me. You know, I seem to be doing things that are not good for my body. I seem to be spending my time doing things that doesn't feel like Tom Panos. And then you turn around and you persevere and persevere. This is an example of quitting being a success strategy. Because by quitting, what happens is you've got this opportunity cost, Mm. right? If you stay in that relationship, you're not meeting the next person. That could be that dream person for you. So there's a classic example, um, a relationship. Other times, man, it's been with work. I've been sitting there with a real estate agent that's been doing real estate for 10 years, averaging about 300 in GCI, not being happy. Um, All they're obsessed about is going on their fishing trips. All they're obsessed about is finishing work early to go fishing. All they're obsessed about is reading fishing magazines. Hey, brother, listen, stop suffering aimlessly. You don't like it? Go get yourself working at a fish tackle shop. And you know what? Maybe you'll become so good at it, you'll end up opening up your own fish fish tackle shop. Live that life, right? There's another example of it. So... Um, I think it's having this ability of working out, you know, brick wall or speed hump. Yeah. Mm. And really understanding your why, right? It's an interesting one because there's times I know from my life where you'll have the vision, there's a, a brick wall and you you, you got to either work, decide do you knock it down, persevere, or do you, like you said, quit strategically and move around. What would you say for people – where the conversation talks about following your passion versus doing things because as a man or as, you know, the times in life where we need to get shit done, what's been your experience with balancing the both? At the mor- In the morning of life, so I look at life as having the morning of life and the afternoon of life. In the morning of life, it's ambition, it's hustle, it's chase, it's sitting with a client not wanting to do business with them, but taking them on because you don't have other business. It's about cutting your fee when you don't really want to, but you need to. That's the morning of life. It's when you're building. Hmm. The afternoon of life is where all of a sudden you've got money. The afternoon of life is all of a sudden you've got enough clients. The afternoon of life is then basically saying, hey, I'm not running out of money now but I'm going to run out of time because I'm on the second half of my life. And all of a sudden, time 
is a more valuable, more valuable commodity than money, right? And all of a sudden, that's when you start saying, "Man, I'm not going to do that." You know, it, it. You know, I mean, I'll give you an example. I've had, I've had. So I do some speaking for charities, right? So I get called by this charity, mate, and 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 because I've, you know, I've come from the world of cancer, I feel, you know, compelled to contribute back. Mm. You know? So I get to, will you come and do a talk on this subject? It's for this group. There's no fee. I said, no problems. Then they turn around and they said, oh, we're letting you know we've changed the venue and the venue's going to be in Queensland now because we've got more people there, but we're going to pay for the flights. I said, no problems. Oh, and, and by the way, you're, um, you're the first speaker of the day. Um, so we need you to come there the night before, right? But we're paying for the hotel room. But because we don't have big budgets, is it okay that you um, share with someone? <laughs> I turn around and I say, and, and, and I remember having this conversation and I said, share with someone. And this lady who runs it, it's a non-for-profit, she goes, oh, you're one of those that don't like sharing. I said, hang on a second. Let's be very clear here. Let's, let's look at things as they are. Number one, you asked me a few weeks ago to come and do a talk at no cost. I agreed. The second thing is you can turn around and say, it's in Queensland. I agreed. The third thing you turn around and say, um, you're going to have to share accommodation. And I sort of said, listen, I feel uncomfortable about being in a room with another person. I mean, I feel uncomfortable. I'm not a great sleeper anyway with my, with my own family, right? So um, I, I suppose... There comes a time where you turn around and say no. You you create boundaries and say no. That's that's unacceptable. You know what I mean? Um, anyway, I think she regretted after <laughs> when I turned. She regretted afterwards. She said, "Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry." This and that. Anyway, at the end of the day, I just that, that's not going ahead. The point we're talking. We, I think I think the subject. The main question you're asking was what you you, you asked something, and I, I want to make sure <clears> I address what you've said. You were talking about the morning, the, the morning and afternoon. afternoon. Yeah. So I suppose. For the people that are watching this, is going to be a lot of morning people, Correct. right? More than afternoons. Correct. Yes. So the morning, there's a price to pay, and that price involves time. You're going to have to put time in, and that's time before nine, and it's time after five, and it's time most days of the week. Mm. The second thing is you're going to have to get used to accepting setbacks. You're going to end up picking not the ideal clients because you just need to be having clients all the time. You're going to have to find that you probably will have to get comfortable being uncomfortable with risk. You're going to be putting on staff. So all these factors are mm. morning factors in your life and – if you're not prepared to live with those factors, you're going to find it very, very hard. As life goes by, you'll find that it gets easier because you don't have to put up with as much of that stuff anymore mm. because you're not prospecting them. Clients prospect you. Mm. That's the difference in the afternoon of your life. But it's very, very important that people that are watching this today, they never compare their chapter one to someone's chapter 10. Every time you see one of these guys or girls that's crushing it on and off the court, don't think to yourself that they're lucky. 
What you're seeing them is on the stage. What you're not seeing is insomnia, late nights, stress, arguments, fatigue, risk. Mm. You're not seeing any of that. Mm. All you're seeing is the result of those things. So I would say that uh, the morning of life is a decade project. You've got to sign up for a decade project. Yeah. Coming to those um, morning uh, agents, the younger agents that are up and coming, what do you think? where do you think they go wrong? What are the biggest mistakes they make before they go out on their own or while they're building their business? The young ones? Yeah. They can work for the wrong office. Mm. That doesn't help. Yeah. They can have an expectation that it's going to happen at a much shorter time than what it really will. Mm. The third thing is um, they personalise rejection. It's a bad one. Like if we're in real estate, we're in the business of prospecting. If we're in the business of prospecting, we're interrupting people. If we're interrupting people, we're pissing people off. If we're pissing people off, that stress from them will come to you. You'll have it. It's called rejection. It's called failure. And what I think newer agents do, they personalise it. It sticks with them. Whereas what it should be, it should be the opposite. It shouldn't be Velcro where it sticks. It should be Teflon. It should slide off. Mm. Yeah. Understandable. Now, uh, a question I have as well. You on last week on the weekend, you mentioned that you went seven from seven. First time that's happened in quite a while that we've had a hundred percent clearance rate. Do you think that's a sign of vendors adjusting to the market, or do you think that's a sign of actually the change in the market? I think it's both. I think um, the prices weren't great. Let's mm. be clear. It's not like seven out of seven. Oh, a hundred and fifty over reserve. Mm. This, it was none of that. It mm. was seven deals that were grinded mm. at roughly 15% less than what they would have a year ago. But what it is is this market started correcting. Like rates went up in May, but I already saw the correction long before May. You could tell it. Yeah. So we've really been in a year, year correction. It really happened October 21. So we're one and a half years into it. And one and a half years into it, and the best vendor manager of the year goes to the Australian media. They have done it brilliantly. So it wasn't hard to put these deals together. It was like the number we've got is 1850. What do you want to do, Mr. and Mrs. Vendor? Oh, we want one nine. Okay. Let's go and see if we can get it. We come back, no, we can't get it. What do you want to do? I don't know, Tom. We were hoping to get more then I'll just say this. What's your understanding of the market at the moment? Well, we know it's not good. You reckon it's going to go up or down in the near future? Probably down. I said, you've just basically answered your question. Mm. They've said it. They said yep. sell it, right? Yep. Gotcha. Um, in terms of where do you, when you're dealing with auction campaigns at the moment, what we're seeing is with what I'm seeing at the moment, we're dealing with a lot more flaky buyers where we're having buyers say, yep, we're going to turn up to auction and they don't actually turn up at all. Um, Now we're having probably half the buyers do that at the moment. Now we're pre-qualifying, all that sort of stuff. 
How do you get past that? Or is there just no way of getting past that? And that's so, just a part of the numbers. So, Kevin, you've, you've got a budget yeah. for fallout. It's yeah. a fact of life. Banks budget for bad debts. Yeah. I budget for parking tickets every year, which <laughs> I know I'm going to get. It's part of the budget. You yeah. factor that in, right? I factor in that I'm going to miss flights or they're going to get cancelled. It's all budgeted and factored in. But the second thing is have an internal locus of control. What can I control and what can't I control? And I mm. let go of the external locus and I focus mm. on the internal locus. So what can I control? Well, number one, I can definitely control calling the buyer up on the Saturday morning if the auction's on Saturday so I know where I stand at 9 o'clock, mm. not sitting mm. around at 2 o'clock in the afternoon ringing up, you know, like this is what the typical agent does, rings up. Tom, wait, before you start the auction, my best buyer's not here. And they sit there mm. ringing up. It's always missed call. No one answers it, right? <laughs> um, and then I'll just say to them, brother, it's 10 past 2. Mm. They're not coming. They're not answering your call. You've had seven calls. I think do your preparation and call at the start of the day mm. to know where you stand. It will help you with your vendor communications. The second thing is you've got to remember you're talking about auctions. So I do a lot of work with a company called Koloshi. They do $51 million in fees last finna year. One of the things that we're highly focused on is the goal of an auction campaign is not to sell the property. The goal of an auction campaign is to collect bidders. Yeah. Two different strategies. We sell the property on the day of the auction but leading up to the auction, we're collecting bidders. So your whole approach has to be in accumulating bidders. Mm. And how do you do that? By encouraging and giving hope to buyers that they're going to be buying it at a really attractive price, mm. number one. Number two is by um, digging deep in your qualification with buyers. I mean, the average agent basically qualifies a buyer by saying, is your finance, how's your finance approved? Mm. Like every mm. buyer says the same thing, it's all mm. good. Well, mm. it's not all good at the moment, mm. mate. Now, let's mm. dig deeper. It's not all good. Mm. I want to ask you, here are five or six questions I would train an agent mm. to be going deep because you want to work out how substantial this bidder is. How long have you been looking? What's the best time you've seen so far? What stopped you buying that one? Great question. What stopped you buying that one? If you can keep seeing this common trend, oh, we, lo we love this house. Mm. Oh, what stopped you buying that one? Oh, we didn't buy it because we weren't ready. Oh, okay. At what point do you know you're ready? Yeah. Oh, when we sell our house. Well, that's useful to know, right? Um, so I would just say... Communication, frequency is the key. Frequency builds trust with the buyer. Um, I'm obsessed with buyer meetings, Zoom buyer meetings, obsessed with them. So FaceTiming them around a property or actually having conversations via Zoom? Um, so you got an auction on a Saturday, mm. on Monday or Tuesday that week, you send out a calendar link to all your buyers the duration of the link is only 10 minutes. It's only a 10-minute short meeting. And you have a pre-auction Zoom meeting on Monday, Tuesday, eyeball to eyeball with them. That is even 
more powerful than your reserve meeting with a vendor, mm. right? You've got to stick to the buyer like a stamp sticks on an envelope in this market, right? So that would help a lot, yeah. having buyer meetings on a Monday yeah. on Zoom. How do you combat buyers in this falling market where they're hesitating and using the excuse of, oh, we're unsure because of the market? Do you just drop those buyers or do you continue to work with those? If they've got the ability to buy and their finances are good, um, you work with them and let me make it really easy. When you adjust the price, a hot buyer magically always appears. So you can turn around and you can say, oh, you know, this buyer's flaky, this and that. Mm. Hot prices make buyers unflaky, mm. right? Yes. The f- that's the first thing. The second thing. The second thing is you've got to understand, Kevin, this is normal real estate now. The reason why it feels abnormal mm. is that in 2020, 2021 and a little bit of 2022, you were just used to order taking. This is actually normal real estate. You've got a vendor here and a buyer here and they mm. just don't see <clears throat> like the gap being put together unless you grind them together. Mm. So you've got to accept that and budget that a lot of the buyer work that you're going to do is going to end up with nothing. But that's what real estate's been like for decades. Mm. It wasn't like that for the boom years. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of... Uh, agents wanting to learn how to negotiate, obviously they could go on YouTube and just Google it. Where would your suggestion be to find out the best information about how to negotiate in this market? Mate, I'm being a salesman here and I'm biased because I live off my real estate gym. Yeah. And in the real estate gym, so the real estate gym, what I do is I don't come up with the content. Mm. I rip off and duplicate all the content. And in terms, so any bit of real estate you need, I've actually gone off, I've plagiarized it and I've edited and I've made it better than the person it's come from. Mm. So I've pretty much got everyone's training around Australia New Zealand. I've got all the big networks training. Mm. I've got, so example, with negotiation, you would go off and do the, the Matt Steinway negotiation course and mm. it's in the real estate gym. So mm. Matt has done a series of negotiating, buyer, vendor, getting <clears> prices <throat> down, getting buyers to increase their offers. Mm. So... The content is out there. I would do structured courses. But whenever you're doing courses, it's always better to do a course that is tailored towards an industry. So if you just read a generic book on negotiation, your brain not only has to process negotiation but then have to actually rescale it on how to use Mm. it in real estate, you know? So the answer is education. The answer is education. Would that same training be applicable to buyer's agents? 100%. 100%. So I've got a, you know, in my real estate gym, I can't get over the amount of buyer's agents I've got in there. I can't get over it. But I think a lot of them are in there because, <clears throat> number one, they want to get close to agents. Yeah. So they yeah. actually use that as an opportunity to get close to agents. And the second thing is they end up taking all the strategies and structures of high-performing agents, right? They'll look at like, you know what Tesla? I've got I've got pretty much everything that Tesla has does. I've got it as a structured course in the gym. So what actually happens is the buyer's agent thinks, "Hang on a second, maybe I can learn from the ideal weeks. I can learn from the checklist. 
I can learn how they use social media to build their personal brand mm. because the commodity is the same. I'm chasing a buyer, they're chasing a vendor, but we're actually doing the same thing. So um, I think it's I think it's similar. Yep. Bringing back to Josh Teslin being on there and all of his information actually being collated on there, why do you think, um, and no knock on them, but why, why do you think his competitors have actually all that information available for what he has but they can't really do much about getting getting cutting through that through the noise and and actually grabbing some market share back. Probably the same probably the same reason why someone that goes on a Weight Watchers uh, <laughs> diet and the information is there and they lose twenty <coughs> kilos and everyone's mm. got the same diet but mm. they know they don't do it. And the reason why is it's um, it's not the acquisition of new information that mm. is as important as the execution of that information. Mm. Mm. And it is the execution that separates a winner from a loser. Mm. I shouldn't use the word a loser, but someone that's not winning. Yeah. Okay. okay. What would what um, has been your biggest learnings? At, not not as a coach, but as an individual that has contributed to your success formula, whether it be any avenue of life, personal health, or business, commercial. Try and make money while you sleep, because. If you're always exchanging your time for money, you've always got to be working long hours and hard work for money. So try and make money while you sleep. And obviously the fastest way to do that is through owning assets that actually um, appreciate at a reasonably high rate each year. Um, That would probably be uh, one of the main ones. And the second one is to understand the concept the pilot doesn't serve drinks on the plane, Mm. which basically means stick to what you're good at, double down mm. on it hard and outsource and delegate the things that you're not good at, um, you don't like or are not dollar productive. So a pilot never leaves the cockpit unless they've got to go to the toilet, mm. right? They're not serving drinks. They're not serving coffee. They're not cleaning the toilets. Mm. They're sticking to their main job. Mm. So for me it would be um, – Work your strengths, outsource your weakness and always remember in real estate, if you don't have a PA, you are the PA yourself. Yeah, true. You've spent a lot of time around a lot of successful people and we always ask you what advice we need but what's the best piece of advice you've actually been given from anyone you've met? My oncologist in 2006 when he said to me, Unfortunately, stage four B-cell lymphatic cancer is not curable. Very good. The reason why Mm. is in that moment I learned something that it takes people a long time to learn and that is that time is a non-renewable resource. Time is running out. Don't waste it. So and 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 I say it's a gift that was badly wrapped because to be able to expose to the concept you're going to die changes the game completely. It changes how you spend your time. It changes who you spend your time with. It changes how you go about doing the things that you do. It means that you stop doing things you don't like that are insignificant and all of a sudden you begin to realise there's a deadline coming here. So it basically means that you live a life that is a far more authentic life because you simply don't have the time to pretend anymore. 
So that that to that to me is very inspiring. And a lot of people turn around thinks think it's it's negative, you know. Yeah. But I mean, Kevin, the truth of the matter is, no one has not died. Yeah. Like no one has not died. Like if you Google it, like you're definitely dying. Right? It's confronting <coughs> to yeah. think about it, yeah. but it's actually. I love going. I mean, I go visit my brother. My brother died young. I go visit my young brother at Rookwood Cemetery, and that's not sad. Uh, that's a reminder to me. This uh, is where I'm heading. This uh, is the. This is the. This is this is the destination. Like this is the last bus stop, right? This is the railway station where you get off and it ends. Just the fact of that means that you end up playing big. Because you know that that time's coming. Hopefully, it doesn't come for another 30, 40 years, mm. maybe fifty years. You know, um, but I find I find I find that's important. And the probably the the second other line I live by is, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. And for me, that's been a very big part of my strategy yeah. to be able to you know, like the truth is, like. We can all do a job and we can do it really, really good, but it's not enough. A lot of people need to know about you. Like some of the greatest agents I know are secret agents. They're nice people. They tell the damn truth. They're compassionate, but they don't do well because they're a secret agent. No one knows them. So I understand the importance of the Mm. matrix, which is both skill be good at it, but you need reach. Uh. You need reach. So, you know, um, reach is very important to me and that is to be able to um, get seen and to be heard in a lot of different spots. Well, thank you, Tom. We really, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was phenomenal. Thank you so much. Thank you.